So there's one from Deuteronomy chapter 6, then Psalm 145, and then from Romans 12. So the first one is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through to 9. And I'm not sure that that's on the... Okay, good. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through to 9. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel. And be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The second reading comes from Psalm 145 and it's verses 1 through to 12. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and exalt your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendour of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendour of your kingdom. And our third reading comes from Romans, which is in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. One of my earliest memories is from our backyard in Townsville. Uh, We had banana trees and mango trees along the fence. And in the centre of the lawn, my dad set up a cricket pitch with uh, this white plastic water container that I can still picture as the stumps. I'm perhaps five years old at the time, and it's the beginning of a lifelong love of cricket. Over the next few years, I learned to play the game with family and friends. Uh, I watch it on TV. I join a local team. Uh, In my first season, we lose every single game, but it doesn't matter. I love it. In high school, I play for the school team. I try out for rep teams. I can remember spending whole summer days just sitting on the couch watching the cricket on TV. Sounds like hell, doesn't it? (laughs) After school, I join a local club team. Uh, I continue playing until I'm 24 when I finally accept that giving 10 to 12 hours of my week every week to cricket might be having a detrimental effect on other things that I value. Uh, But even now, I love following cricket. I get excited just talking about it. Uh, I watch the highlights when I can, and I'll give you one guess what what sport Penny's going to be playing as soon as she can walk. Uh, It's fair to say, yeah, I love cricket. I'm just a little bit obsessed. Uh, But the question I want to think about today is, did I love cricket and then decide to play lots of it? Did five-year-old Mike think, oh, wow, cricket, that looks like an awesome game. I should devote literally thousands of hours of my life to it. Or did five-year-old Mike just enjoy playing with his dad and as he began to play a bit of cricket, started to enjoy it more and more? It's the latter, isn't it? I played it a bit, I started to enjoy it, I kept playing more and more. It's like a virtuous cycle, isn't it? Well, vicious cycle, some of you are thinking... Probably if you're thinking that, you just haven't played enough cricket, but it's probably not what I'm preaching today. Playing cricket became a habit for me, entrenched in my body, right, actions that I can do with my eyes closed, and it was a formative habit, right, not just a habit, a formative habit because it formed my heart. As I performed the actions of cricket, hours of throwing and catching and, and bowling and hitting, I wasn't only learning physical skills, I was also teaching my heart to love this game. It's a formative habit. Not all habits are like this, right? I habitually brush my teeth, but it hasn't given me a love of dentistry, right? Some habits are just habits, but others are formative. We don't always realise that's what's happening, but uh, they're formative. For me, playing cricket is one of them. Perhaps you can think of something similar in your life. Uh, It's not just sport. For some people, it's music, playing a musical instrument. It could be something you do with your work, something you do with people you love. It's often the combination of using your body, doing it with other people, and doing it repetitively. This new series we're starting today is called Church for Life. The big idea is that church is one of these formative habits. In fact, even more formative than playing cricket, believe it or not. 
A church is a formative habit because at church, uh, we learn to love Jesus both in our hearts and practically in our actions with our bodies. So yes, church is for eternal life. Uh, It's where you hear the gospel. It's where God's word is taught. We find salvation in Christ. Church is also for everyday life because it's where we learn to worship God, to love him with our whole heart and mind and soul and strength. Uh, It's a five-week series. Today I'm introducing the big ideas for the series and then over the next four weeks we're going to look at some of the things that we do together as a church. Uh, Sharing the Lord's Supper next week, so um, advance warning, we've got Lord's Supper today and again next week. Uh, singing praise to God after that uh, with John Forsyth, confessing our sins and reciting the creeds uh, from Graham Stanton, uh, two, two uh, in one that week, and then listening to God's word uh, in the final week. And for each one, uh, we're going to think about why do we do this, what does it mean, and how does this action at church teach us to not only love God more in our hearts, but also to love God with our bodies, to live for him through the week. And I deliberately call them actions, right? Because they're each things that we do physically. We participate in with our bodies. We don't just ask each other to sit here and mentally assent to the creed. We ask each other to stand and say it together. We don't ask you to sit and enjoy as the band performs the next song. We ask each other to stand and sing. Why is it so important that we participate in church, not just consume it? Sometimes I wonder, and I think we we do, fall into this trap of thinking that what's happening in my mind is more important than what I'm doing with my body. After all, salvation is by faith, isn't it? Yeah? It's about belief and trust. We're not saved by our works, right? Right? So does that mean, therefore, what we do with our bodies must be less important than what's going on in our minds? Good theology, more important than right action? Well, 100% yes to good theology, but also yes, 100% to good action. Neither can replace the other and we don't actually have to choose between the two. Romans 12, 1-2 helps us understand this. It's really our key passage for this whole series. Uh, Look it up in your Bibles if you've got them there. Uh, Keep it open. Uh, And uh, let's, uh, I think we've got it on the screen as well. Thanks, Shirley. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Let's take a couple of minutes to unpack these verses. Uh, Therefore, I urge you, uh, back to verse 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I'm just going to stop there. It sounds like we haven't even got into the, the main thrust of the verse yet, have we? But the preamble is actually critical for our understanding. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, You might have been encouraged, particularly when you're reading the letters in the New Testament, when you see a therefore, ask what it's there for, right? We must keep God's mercy in view. 
through the whole uh, series of uh, Church for Life, we want to keep God's mercy in view. What is God's mercy? What's well, the whole story of salvation that we've heard in Romans up till now? We're, we're jumping in at chapter 12, but Paul's spent 11 chapters unfolding God's mercy for us. It's how God has reconciled us rebels to himself, forgiven the guilty. He's justified the condemned. He's granted us Christ's righteousness in place of the unrighteousness of our sin. God's mercy is his generous work of salvation for us that we didn't deserve. And because of God's mercy, remember, we are new people with a new identity. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, we are freed women and freed men, no longer slaves to sin. We are forgiven and righteous, no longer condemned. If you trust in Jesus, you are a friend of God, a child of God, no longer estranged from him. You have a new identity. God's mercy changes us at the deepest level of who we are. And this is so important to have, us, to have clear as we start this series. We're not just trying to impose external actions, right, or external changes because we've already been changed at the deepest level. This is about actually trying to grow into our new selves. We've already been changed deep down by God's mercy. Now scripture says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies. Interesting, it doesn't say offer yourselves, does it? Specifically says body. Clearly God does care what we do with our bodies. Yes, salvation is by faith, but yes, God loves our bodies too. Because our bodies are not just something that we have, right? It's not quite the same as offering your money or your time or your skills. Our bodies are not simply a tool or a possession that we, that we have. Our bodies are us, right? I am my body. I'm more than a body, yeah, but I'm not less than my body. And my body isn't a, isn't a simple, simply an add-on to my identity. Offering my body means offering myself holy and pleasing to God. God's, God asks us to worship him with our bodies. And so we come to church and we worship on Sunday. We sing a few songs, we say our prayers, we worship with our bodies, Right? This verse is about more than that too, isn't it? Because living sacrifices, that's the language of complete surrender. right? It's not just offer your bodies for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. It's offer your body entirely. Devote your body to God like a sacrifice is devoted to God, but a living sacrifice. This is worship as all of life. So yes, here at church on Sundays, offer your bodies in worship. But also on Monday at work, offer your bodies in worship of God. On Tuesday at home group, offer your bodies in worship. On Friday with friends or Saturday with family, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Whether you're in the privacy of your own home or the, the publicity of your workplace or school or uni, with your friends and family in your downtime and on holidays, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
So this series is all about how our worship on Sundays, what we do here together, helps train us and equip us to offer our bodies in worship of God through the rest of the week. Because I think it's quite clear, right, how we can offer our bodies here on Sundays. We give our full attention to worshipping God when we're here. We sing songs of praise, we listen to his word, we encourage our brothers and sisters over a cup of tea, we pray for ourselves and our world. This is our true and proper worship. But that's Sunday morning. Maybe it's not quite so clear how we offer our bodies during the week. How do you worship God at work? How do you offer your body as a living sacrifice when you're out with friends or looking after the kids? To answer that question, I want us to step back a moment and first ask, why do we worship at all? Uh, Now, if we were starting the Lord's Supper today using the old-fashioned liturgy, uh, I would uh, start with these words. Uh, I think we've got them on the screen. Uh, I would say, let us give thanks unto our Lord God. And you would say, meet and right so to do. And I would say, it is very meet, right and our bounden duty that we should at all times and in all places give thanks unto thee, O Lord. We're not using the old form today. Um, But that's what we'd say, meet, right, and our bounden duty. uh, This is part of why we gather at church to worship, isn't it? It's right, it's our duty. The God who created us and gave us life, who also rescued us and gave us new life, he is worthy of our worship. It's right that we should praise him and offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, maybe this feels a little uncomfortable. Sometimes I think we have a bit of a cultural twitch whenever we talk about an external authority to whom we might owe a duty. But it doesn't have to be a bad thing. We heard in Psalm 145, in verse 7, that Kate read that uh, God's people, they celebrate his abundant goodness and they joyfully sing of his righteousness. That's Psalm 145, verse 7. Can you see how they're saying there's great joy in praising and celebrating God's goodness? And the reason they find joy in this is because of who God is. In the very next verse, in verse 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. What a joy to worship such a good and loving God. So we worship God because he instructs us to and because it's right to because it's even joyful to do it. As L'Oreal used to say, we worship God because he's worth it, right? But there's another reason we worship God with our bodies. We gather at church to do these actions because of what they do to us. I wonder if you remember the movie The Greatest Showman a couple of years ago. Did anyone see, see this movie? Hugh Jackman, one of the, one of the stars. Uh, One of the most popular songs in it was called This Is Me. Uh, I'm not going to sing it to you, uh, but it was really an anthem, I think, for our time. It had the lines in it. Uh, The lines went, This is me, look out, because here I come, marching to the beat I drum. And it's a song that just expresses so much of what it means to be human, to express who we are from deep within, to not uh, not be hidden away or ashamed of who we are, uh, but actually to express that to resist the expectations of others and to be true to ourselves. This song 
is a classic example of uh, what's called expressive individualism. Uh, and this is the key point. It assumes that we grow as a person when we express who we are internally, when we impose our inner identity on the world around us. Right? We, we grow as a person when we express our inner truth. It's quite a popular view today. You might have heard the advice, be who you are, you do you, just be yourself. Taylor Swift, Donald Trump, Oprah Winfrey, Michelle Obama, Beyonce, right? Lots of people subscribe to different versions of this wisdom. Be true to yourself. But of course it begs the question, well, who am I, right, to be true to? And if you only ever look within to answer that question, well, that can be quite a deep spiral. It can be a black hole that's very difficult to find your way out of. It's not that we never need to look within, but it's not the only place to look. God has a different vision for us of how we can grow as people in verse 2, back in the Romans 12. Verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. So as we offer our bodies in worship, verse 1, and as our minds are renewed by God's word and spirit, verse 2, we resist the pattern of the world and we're actually transformed. Rather than us pressing ourselves on the world around us, God presses himself on us. His character gets imprinted on our minds and bodies and hearts. Right? The God who is gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And then Romans 12.2 says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. It's the best part. As we're transformed, we grow to love and approve God's will for us. We realise it's pleasing and good and perfect. So can you see the connections here? We offer our bodies in worship, our minds are renewed, and through these two means, through our bodies and our minds, we're transformed to be more like Christ, to love God and his ways more deeply. And so that's the second big reason why we worship. Yes, we worship because God is worth it. Meet right in our bounden duty. We also worship because it transforms us. Both our bodies and minds are central to this. Our research in neuropsychology and brain plasticity suggests that our habits, what we do with our bodies, actually influence and reshape our brains and our desires. This is probably why I love cricket. So much time spent doing it. But of course, God knows that this is how we work. It's how he made us. And so it makes sense now when we look back to Deuteronomy, that when God gave his commandments to the Israelites way back in Deuteronomy, he tells them to learn the commandments. He doesn't just say, learn them by rote, off the stone tablets, does he? He says, uh, Deuteronomy 6, he says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Uh, In verse 8, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, build God's word into your daily routine. Surround yourself with his word. 
And in this way you will learn to love and approve God's will. In this way you'll be transformed to not only follow God's ways, but to love God's ways. This is true for us too. We're God's children because of his mercy. God is transforming us to love his ways and to not be conformed to the pattern of the world. And a big part of how God does that is through us offering our bodies in worship. So as we come towards the end this morning, let me say a couple of things about not conforming to the pattern of this world. If one of the patterns of our world is this expressive individualism, then we actually resist that at church. We resist that at church because church is not about us expressing ourselves. Let me explain what I mean. Church is not fundamentally about us bringing who we feel we are and expressing that. It's not an audience for your self-expression. It's not even an audience for my self-expression. It's for us together to worship God in the ways that he commands us to. To sing his praises, to listen to his word, to share the Lord's Supper. We can still be honest and authentic about how we're going. But we don't do these actions of worship simply because we feel like it. And we're not going to change them tomorrow because we feel like something different. We do them because that's how God invites us to worship him. And as we do these things, we actually find that God is expressing himself on us. His loving, kind, patient character becomes ours. We're transformed to be more like Christ. We love God more because we become more like what we worship. If we had another week, it would be great to look at prayer as well and praying. Praying is another action that helps us to not be conformed to the world but to be transformed, to be like Christ. Uh, Here's what I mean. When when I bow my head to pray, particularly when I do it in community with other believers, my body learns some deep truths. I ingrain in my body and heart that I am not the sovereign. Right? I don't run the world. I don't control even the circumstances of my own life. I am not the Lord because I bow to another. And therefore I'm not self-sufficient. I have needs. I come to God asking for things. I can't provide everything for myself. I must depend on God and in fact on others as well. So as we bow our heads or, or kneel down to pray even, we learn these truths in a deeper way than we would just by hearing them. We learn to embody the truth that Jesus is Lord, not me. We learn to put it into practice, as it were. And we learn that together here on Sunday with the encouragement of brothers and sisters so that on Wednesday, when work is not going my way, I instinctively remember to bow my head and pray for my daily needs. It's easier to do it spontaneously on our own during the week if we've done it together deliberately on Sunday. Maybe you experienced this during lockdown. It, it, I, I certainly found it much harder to stand and sing on my own at home, even in front of the TV, than I do with everyone else at church. So to our service leaders and, and all who lead us in prayer, it's an awesome job. Because you're not only leading us to pray to God, you're teaching us 
to pray to God. You're helping us to offer our bodies in worship here on Sunday so that we're better trained to worship God all week. This is why church is for life. Now as we close, uh, some might say, what about God's word? Surely God's word is how he transforms us, not by us doing things. God works by faith in his promises, doesn't he? Not by works. Of course that's true. God transforms us by faith in his word. My only response is that this is God's word changing us actually. The very reason I kneel to pray is because God's word tells me to. The very reason I sing to praise God is because his word inspires me. The very reason we share the Lord's Supper or confess our sins or articulate the truth of the gospel in the creed or even listen to God's word is because that same word invites us to or even commands us to. It's an act of faith in God's word. God's word teaching us to offer our bodies. So does God's word transform us? Yes, absolutely. It transforms us by calling us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It transforms us by renewing our minds so that we might grow to test and approve God's will. And as we're transformed, as God impresses his character on ours, we grow to be more like Jesus. We grow to love him more than anything else. Yes, more than cricket. Hard to believe. That's the vision of this series, that we will grow uh, in offering our bodies in worship of God and so learn to love him with our whole heart and mind and soul and strength. Along the way, we're going to ask the curly questions about the Lord's Supper and why we say creeds. Uh, There's a bit of homework in the Bible studies, this series, something to try at home during the week to help us to offer our bodies, not only on Sundays, but on Monday and Tuesday and all week long. And as we do so, my prayer is that God will transform each one of us, that we'll resist the pattern of the world, that God will transform us to love him more with our hearts and worship him more with our bodies. Let's pray that God would would do that in us. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy to us. Thank you for forgiving us and calling us your own when we were strangers and far off. Thank you for our new identity as your children. And Lord, thank you for inviting us to worship you, for showing us something of your goodness and greatness, how worthy you are of all our worship. And God, now we pray that as we worship you, we might be transformed to be more like you in our character, in our actions, in every way. Might we love you more and more. For your glory we pray. Amen.